The book of Ephesians talks about the difference that Jesus Christ makes in the life of a church. Chapters 4 through 6 build upon chapters 1 through 3. Chapters 1 through 3 talks about major doctrines. That's usually a word that we kind of pull back from and we're maybe a little hesitant of and we go, I don't, I don't understand doctrine. But in the first three chapters of Ephesians, we learn the doctrine of God the Father. In fact, we learn the doctrine of the Trinity because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all mentioned together. We learn the doctrine of sanctification, which is the fact that when you receive Christ as your Savior, your life can change. And in fact, God made you and designed you so you can change. In fact, he says, when you get saved, he's made you to be able to do good things. It's not the works that we do, but the fact that God, when you get saved, you become a new creature and your new person now is able to do things before you couldn't do. Things that before you said, I'm going to try better this time. I'm going to work really hard at this. Now you can do it because you now have the Holy Spirit within you, your new person. We have, I mentioned the doctrine of uh, God the Son, the incarnation, which is where Jesus Christ came to earth and took on flesh. We have the doctrine of imputation, where God imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us. We have that great exchange that takes place where Jesus Christ takes our sin and we receive his righteousness. We have this doctrine, because of imputation, we are now accepted in God. We aren't wondering, can we, can we ever be right with God? Is God pleased with me today? What do I have to do? We have the doctrine, it's called hamartiology, which is the doctrine of sin that's taught here. And of redemption. We have the doctrine, again, of sanctification where it talks about maturity in the believer, that you will reach maturity as a believer. And then we have the doctrine of, it's called pneumatology. You, you hear the word pneumatics, which is the idea of air or breath. It's the idea of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling Holy Spirit that we have in us. And then the last one that he mentions is called the doctrine of ecclesiology. Now, I, I know right now, please stick with this. Don't glaze over. I will, this is, I'm done with this section on reminding you of the doctrines that are there, but they're very important for us. Ecclesiology, I'm sorry, eschatology. Ecclesiology is almost the whole book that's talking about the doctrine of the church, but eschatology talks about future events. And eschatology is actually going to be a part of our text this morning, even though we wouldn't normally think of our text in Ephesians chapter 6, being part of eschatology, the study of the last things. So if you've opened your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. So beginning in chapter 4, based on all these doctrines, he says, because of what God has done for you, these doctrines which tell us what we have, these doctrines, if you want to maybe put it this way, it's like opening a manual or opening a will, and it says, 
you've got this and you've got this and you've got this and you've got this and you've got this. Then chapters four through six have the explanation of because you've got all this stuff, now here's what you can do with it. And that's why doctrine is so important because the doctrines drive the resources that you have to be able to do things. So now we look in chapter four, look at verse um, one with me. He says, I beseech you, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You've been called to be a child of God. He says, now let's begin living like what we have been given. And as you remember, we went through chapter four and he says, oh, don't, don't live the way the Gentiles live who are still living according to lies. But he says, now live in a way that reflects what the Lord Jesus Christ is. And you know, he went through that. He said, he said, so now we don't have to lie anymore. In fact, we don't lie anymore, but we speak the truth with everyone that we meet. And he talks about learning how to handle anger rather than it being something that explodes and becomes sinful. He says, no, use anger the way God intended it to be used. So now you're not trapped. You're not under the control of this. He talks about your speech. He talks about how do you handle hurts with other people. And all those things, we can now change the way what's maybe been a life-dominating pattern because of these doctrines, because of what God has done for us, what he's taught us. So, we come to our text today. Our text is in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Last week we looked at Christian living in the home. We've looked at Christian living in our marriages. We've looked at now Christian living in the home with our children. And now we come to Christian living at work. What do these doctrines, what do these teachings in chapters 1 through 3 mean for the way I'm going to respond to work Paul is reminding us that Christianity impacts not just our public, but our private life. Whether it's in our marriage, our family, our labor, business relationships, Christianity changes the way you look at relationships. And it empowers you to change from those activities that you used to do to what will bring joy into your life and more importantly would bring glory to God. So to the, Christ, to the Corinthian believers, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he said, whether ye eat or whether ye drink, do all to the glory of God. And you know what he's saying? If you look at life, even down to the most simple things, when you eat something, if you're going to take a drink of something, even those little things have in your mind, I'm going to glorify God. So with that in mind, he now comes, he says, so what do you do with these unfair, with distasteful things in life? What about when something is wrong 
and you're in a bad situation, how do you react to that? Paul says in chapter 5, remember he said, the days are bad. Therefore, redeem the time. You know what he's telling us? He says, I want you to use every circumstance so that it matters. So that you get something. You can receive reward out of it. You can make it valuable even though what you're going through may be very difficult. So this morning, as we look at the scriptures, I don't want you to walk away saying, well, he just said the Christian life's going to be easy, the Christian life's going to be fun, the Christian life's... No, the Christian life will probably not be easy. It may be occasionally, but it won't be easy most of the time because you live in a sinful world. You're around sinners. And because the whole thing that God created is damaged because of our sin, we have to expect that when we go out in this world, when things don't work well, they don't work. My son sent a picture to me of his car. He had gone out yesterday with a group of men and he went to pick someone up and the person tried to get in his car and he couldn't get in the car because when he pushed the handle of the door, the door handle didn't work. So he had this car, but the door didn't work. So now the other person had to go around and slide through or whatever to make this work. It's inconvenient. You need to know in this world, there's going to be a lot of inconveniences because of sin, because of the problems that are there. So how do you deal with that? We're looking at a scripture that God is telling us, make each moment count for something beyond now. Make it count for eternity. It's estimated that slaves composed one-third of the population of Ephesus. And, and I think, if I'm remembering properly, that was a very common number in the Roman Empire. A third of all people were slaves. Now, can you imagine, as he's preaching, Paul has been addressing Christians in chapter 4. In chapter 5, he then addresses the ladies who are married. He then addresses the husbands. Then he addresses the children. Then he addresses the parents. And you remember, we've seen this back and forth where he talks to the one first who has to submit to an authority. So he was talking to the ladies. He said, ladies, in your home setting, though you are co-equal in your value in the economy of a home, there's going to be a leader and there's going to be a follower. And so he speaks to the ladies, and then he speaks to the men, and he says, here's how this should function. Then he talked to the children, and he said, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And you see that pattern that's being repeated every time. So he's appealing to Christian women. He's appealing to Christian men. He's appealing to Christian children, teenagers, people who are not married and are still with their parents. Now he comes, and again, he's gonna, this is going to be the last couple that he's going to do, and he's going to talk about slaves and masters. 
I just want to draw your attention, make a note of this. The fact that he talks to slaves means there were slaves in this church. The fact that he talked to masters, there were masters in this church. Just as he talked to the women because there were women in the church. He talked to men because there were men in the church. He talked to children because there were children in the church. But now you hit what we would say, how uncomfortable could this be? As he is applying the scriptures and he says, and you servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. Possibly in this same church, there were these slaves and the masters and they were sitting in the same auditorium and they were working, they were worshiping together. So how do you negotiate these difficult social issues within the church? Slaves were considered an integral part of the family. And you'll find that the slavery that we had in America is considerably different than the slavery of Rome. Interestingly enough, Scripture says that both of those, when they were the way the Romans captured people, they stole men and women, and the same way that Americans in the early years stole men and women, the Scriptures are very clear, that's sin. No question about it. It's sin. But you notice, Paul doesn't take a large chunk of the scripture and begin talking about the evils of slavery, does he? He does not. If we were to read more and you were to read through the scriptures, you would find Paul says, if you have a chance to be free, be free. But if you can't, what do you do? Well, the obvious answer is you stay bitter the rest of your life and you do everything you can to sabotage your master, right? I mean, I mean that's like a no-brainer. Why do you even bother teaching on that? But the reality is that's not what he says. Look with me now as we look at this text. He's telling us, he says, understanding the time, knowing the time that you live in. And it doesn't seem to matter what time you live in here on the earth. Things are always wicked. Because there are wicked people on the earth. You can't get any more wicked than stealing somebody and making them your property. But notice what he says. He says, Servants, here's how you live your life. Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart is unto Christ, not with service, not as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And here's what he draws it down to. He says, look, if you can change the situation you're in, change it. Okay, do it. If you can't change the situation you're in, okay, stay where you are. You don't have a choice, but don't get bitter. Don't dishonor the Lord. 
Don't live like the unredeemed who are unenlightened and who walk in the darkness of their own reasoning. So what does he tell servants to do? First of all, he says, be obedient. What does that mean? Do what you're told. It's the same repetition from chapter 5 and from uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. Be subject to bring yourself under and do it for the Lord's sake. You know, the thing that crossed my mind as I was studying this passage, every one of us, when we work, when we serve someone else, we always expect at least one paycheck, but we're hoping for two. What I mean by that is this. When you serve, the, when you do something, do it as unto the Lord because the Lord's going to reward you. And you're always hoping that man's going to pay you. But all of you, if you've been in any kind of business, whether you own your business, whether you've worked for someone or someone has worked for you, you know what I mean when I say you don't always get paid. Sometimes people stiff you. Sometimes people take advantage of you. Without being flippant, welcome to the world. Selfishness drives the unsaved community. And sadly, sometimes the Christian community. We always, though, when we do anything, we always do it expecting one paycheck and hoping for two. So notice what he says. He says, be obedient. Do what you're told. Do it for the Lord's sake as unto the Lord. And the focus in everything we do is for spiritual service. Today as I preach, my number one goal when I'm done is for the Lord to say, you did your best. I'm pleased with what you did. I would love it if everyone liked it. Well, probably not because... For some this morning, you need to be challenged that the lifestyle that you're on is harmful. And anytime you correct someone, they usually don't like it. But I still would like for everyone to like what I say. But ultimately, I want the Lord to be pleased. Whatever you've done this week, you do it so that when the Lord looks at you, whether you were cleaning your sidewalk, whether you were sweeping your porch, whether you were cleaning your room, whether you were building something, whether you were in the lab, whether you are in whatever. Was the Lord pleased with how I did this? You say, yeah, but you don't know who I work for. I work for this really, really difficult person. Notice what he says. He says, first of all, be obedient, doing it for the Lord's sake. Do it with respect. The word there, fear, has the idea of respect. He says, do it right with trembling. The idea of paying attention that you don't make any mistakes. He says, do it with the right motive, with singleness of heart. The word there, singleness, means without folds. You know, as... Sometimes, you, you know, you look at maybe shears or curtains that are hung, and usually they kind of have a pattern to them, and they've got folds in them. And when you do that, you really can't see through it very well, and you can't really tell if there are snags on it where the cat maybe has done something, or the dog, or the child, or whoever has done something to your curtains. And so, but when, you, when they're kind of folded, but when they're straight out, you go, oh, 
I didn't realize we spilled something on that. And I didn't realize there was a rip there. And I didn't realize, here he says, with singleness of heart, straight panel. Do what you do, not hiding anything. So he's talking about having the right motive. The idea even can give with enthusiastic service. So he says, be obedient for the Lord's sake, with respect, with attention to detail, with the right motive. But then he also says, look at verse 6 with me. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. You know what he's saying? Be consistent. Do consistent work whether anyone sees you or not. And this admonition speaks directly to the heart. Now, again, we're right now, so far in this sermon, we really can sit back and we're spectators. We do have slavery in our society today. We do have man stealing and women stealing in today's society. But I'm not aware that anyone this morning is in that situation. So we're listening to this and we're going, yeah, that's nice. That's interesting. Because imagine with me, for us, we really break our backs. We really work hard and we really, especially when the boss is around, we really show them what we can do. Why? Because we have the hope of better pay. We have the hope of a raise. We have the hope of more responsibility. We have the hope of something that we're driving for. What did a slave have? So the slave just knocks themselves out and makes the boss, makes their master a lot of money. And what do they have at the end of the day? A richer master. They get nothing more. So when Paul is speaking to these slaves and he says, not with eye service. You know, they would have the advantage if they really did a good job, they wouldn't get beaten. Maybe sometimes we feel that way in our Christian life. If I just really knock myself out, maybe God won't beat me today. See, we've got a wrong idea of who our God is. That's the reason why we started with all of these truths in chapter 1. God so loved you. He planned all of these spiritual blessings for you. What does that tell you about your God? That your God is a wonderful God. So he says, I don't want you to do this with eye service as men pleasers, but here's this truth. Whatever you do, do it thinking, I'm going to do this for the Lord. So afterwards today, maybe some of you, you're going to look around, you're going to go, oh, someone left their songbook there. And you're going to go by and you're going to pick up the songbook and you take it back and you put it in the back even though it wasn't the songbook. In fact, you didn't even get a songbook today. But you looked around and you saw something that needed to be done. You children, I would encourage you. This is a great opportunity for you. It's something that you can do. There are some things that you're not old enough to do yet. But all of us can always serve. You know what? When you pick up that hymnal and you take it in the back and you put it and you stack them the right way and you do your very best, do you know what's really happening? You're not doing it for me. You're not even doing it for your mom and dad. You're doing it for the Lord. 
And he says, don't do it so that people notice. You know, so, so don't, don't go around trying to hold the books out as far as what you can so everyone sees when you're walking to the back. What do you do? You, you try your best just to get them to the back. It may be as you walk in. You know, our goal always as we rent this building is to always make sure the building, we leave it better than we find it. Usually there are things that are not in the right place when we get here. Someone else has used the building before us. So what do we do? Oh, we put the things away. We just, and we don't do it. I mean, we could do it so that everyone say, wow, do you notice that person? They really go around and they're really cleaning the building up. Or we could do it just because we say, this would honor the Lord. Paul is challenging these servants. He says, do it, not trying to gain attention, but deal with it as a heart motive. And Paul kept referring to this with them. Notice he says, not as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart as unto Christ. He says, as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. What he's describing here is he's saying, be wholehearted about this. Do your best with good with goodwill doing service as to the Lord, verse 7, not unto men. He says, I want you to be consistent. I want you to be obedient, but I also want you to be wholehearted. You as employers know what it's like. If you get someone who just dives in and just does their best and they're all in, you love it. And you also don't like it so much when you get somebody who's, every time you turn your back, they've stopped. You see, he's teaching us how to work. He's teaching us the right motive. And that is, we do what we do and we do our best, not because we're gonna get the praise of men, but because we do it to a God who does see all the time. You know, he says, not with eye service, because your boss can't always see you. Your master can't always see you. But God always sees you. And as a believer, you know what? Everyone in that church was a freed person, weren't they? Freed from the master of Satan, from the slavery to Satan. Now imagine how revolutionary this, this concept would be for a slave. I mean, can, can you hear the masters in the background going, Amen, preacher, say that. Yeah, that's right, tell them. Can you imagine how they would be wanting those slaves to really serve out of a joyful heart, even though they're enslaved and even though they're not free? You see, a common thing that would take place was abuse. So they're living in this abuse. They're living with these threats all the time. He says, be wholehearted because your work matters, because your work is being noticed, and because your work can bring glory to God. But notice verse 8, and here's the eschatology that I was mentioning to you, the future events, the things that are important. Notice verse 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, that same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. See, here's where we have hopefully two paychecks, but always have one paycheck. When you do something as unto the Lord, 
God always remembers. God is not unfaithful to forget, as Paul, as, as the writer in Scripture says, even your labor of love. The things you just do for someone. You bring them a cup of water. Say, how simple could that be? Even that, God doesn't forget. You don't always get paid for a cup of water. People don't always even say thanks. You walk in the door. Someone opens the door for you. Maybe you're distracted. I don't know how many times over the weekend I was, I was out of the city, and I would open a door for someone. And sometimes they would say thank you, but often they would walk through and never acknowledge that I was there. Now, you probably wouldn't have this response. Sometimes in a sinful response, I just want to go. <laughs> but then I'm missing the number one big paycheck, aren't I? I do a good job. I do it as unto the Lord. Knowing that of the Lord, I will receive my paycheck. You young people, as you work, as you have jobs, as you go out, or those of us who are older and we've had jobs, see how it totally changes the perspective on work. Every day you're going, and every day you're going knowing, I can get a reward today. I'm hoping at the end of the week I'm going to get a reward, but every day I'm getting a reward. There's an eternal reward that's coming. And he says, be focused on future rewards. You know, God always puts things in front of us. God is a rewarder. And as parents, that's a great thing to keep in mind. As an employer, that's a great thing to keep in mind. I'm going to put things out in front of people, and I'm going to reward people who do really well. Because it's God-like. That's what God does. You say, well, you're bribing your kids. Maybe sometimes you are, but most of the time I don't think so. Most of the time what you're teaching them is the enjoyable thing in life to do. But you have to teach people to do that. Be focused. Your view of future events and your view of God impacts how you choose to act. Today, when I choose to do the right thing, whether I'm going to get credit for it or not, I'm remembering my good God and I'm remembering I have good things yet to come. I just had this moment of 1223 and I was thinking, I am so toast. <laughs> we're, we're doing really well this morning. All right, so notice this. He says, in this case, verse 8, he says, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, that same man shall receive of the Lord whether he be bond or free. And all of a sudden, what did Paul just do? He just leveled the playing field in the church. Whether you are a servant or you are a master, whether you are a child or whether you are a parent, whether you are a husband or whether you are a wife, he has just leveled the playing field because he says God is the master of everyone and God sees everyone here this morning and God does not look at you and go, oh, you're a man, you get a pass, you're in trouble. God doesn't look at you kids and go, you know, you don't really matter, but you adults, now you're really important. 
He doesn't look at the slave and say, it doesn't matter what happens to you, but now you and you owners, now you're the really important ones. James chapter 2 tells us the church had problems with that, didn't it? The church struggled with this kind of an attitude, and Paul levels the playing field, and he says, no, you need to understand, we are all one body. If you're a believer, you are part of the church, and he's speaking to this local chapter of the body here in Ephesians, and he says, this church, he says, all of you, Jesus Christ is the master, he's the head, he's the great shepherd of the church, and he will reward you. So, there's a permanent aspect to my actions that supersedes my immediate feelings. I don't feel like doing that today, but I know I'm going to get a reward. I mentioned to you, we have a puppy, and this puppy is experiencing life for the first time. And everything about this puppy is rewards. I mean, and, and she knows now, rewards are really good, and we give lots of rewards. And so immediately now, I don't even have to tell her, she just runs up and she sits but she's also expecting a reward. And I didn't even tell her. It's like, what? I didn't ask you to do that, but I sat, Dad, didn't I, didn't I, didn't I? Where's my treat? You know, for us, there's a whole new dimension we always remember. God is a God that rewards. God is a God that rewards. Now, you can't earn your salvation. You can't do good to get your salvation. Salvation has to mean you had to be rescued, you had to be saved. And that's a work of God through Jesus Christ. And it's an acknowledgement, I'm a sinner. I'm drowning in my sin, I'm in serious trouble, and only God can rescue me. But as a believer, remember what he taught us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship. When you get saved, you become a new creature. You become his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Now think for a moment, what a great God. He makes you to be able to do good works and then rewards you for doing good works. Is that like just the best ever? That you would have a God that loves you so much that he says, I'm gonna make it so that now you can do these things and when you do the things that you are able to do and made to do, not forced to do, but literally designed to do, every time you do the things you're designed to do, I'm gonna reward you for doing it. Do you see what a great God we serve today? And then he empowers you through the Holy Spirit to be able to do the things that he made you to be able to do. My view of God helps keep me in check from being pragmatic. What will we do to see this church grow? I can tell you the answer is not anything. The answer is we will do whatever God's word says. Because you know it's of the Lord we're gonna receive a reward. And if there's other things that come, great. If those things don't come, that's okay. Because God always remembers 
It's not your stuff or your circumstances that matter. Notice, he then looks at the, at the masters. Look at verse 9. He says, and ye masters, do the same things unto them. Now, if you are hearing this, amen, preacher, shake that bush. From the masters, when he was talking to the slaves, can you imagine at the end, as they just read one verse, and he addresses the masters that are sitting there in the auditorium, he says, and you masters, do the same thing. Dead silence. Maybe the slaves jotting notes to each other, amen, say that again. They're not going to say it out loud. <laughs> do you see how the playing field just leveled? Slave owners, he says, and ye masters, do the same things unto them. And then he says, forbear threatening. What is the usual method that people get, people who are under them, to do what they want them to do? You threaten them. You just threaten them. So what would they do? To, to the women, they would threaten them with physical violence. They would verbally and physically assault them. To the men, they would say, you do that again, and I will sell you, and you will never see your wife or your children again. If I don't see you have a little more hurry in when I ask you to do something, you're going to be gone, but your family's not going with you. That'll put fear in your heart. That'll put anger in your heart. That will put the desire to hurt someone else in your heart. And now you begin to realize this tension, the dynamic of all that was going on, because this is what the culture did, rather than saying this is what the scripture demands. And Paul leveled the field and he said, you masters, do the same thing for your slaves. Be focused on future rewards. Do you know it's possible for the slave who was just unable to be a mover and shaker in the world, it was, in totally, it was totally possible for the slave to have rewards in heaven and for the master to get none. See how everything levels out? Christianity is the only thing, God's word is the only thing in the world that tells us how to fix society's problems. How do you keep people from abusing children? How do you keep people from, from abusing, from selling, from this slave traffic that we see in the United States today that is just under the surface of visibility? How do you fix that? Well, we can carry placards and we can go out and we can crusade. The most important thing we can do is to share the gospel. Do you know in those churches, in Christian environments, slavery began to disappear. Why was that? Because of what Paul taught. If I am to treat you with respect, knowing that God sees everything I do and hears everything that I say, and God is going to reward me, how am I going to treat you? 
if I really get it, I'm going to treat you really well. I'm going to treat you fairly. Now, so is he saying then, how, so how did they work with their, with their people that were under them? He said, don't threaten them. You can warn them. You can tell them, hey, here's the results. But you don't, um, you don't misuse someone. You treat them justly and you treat them fairly. And it's the same, no partiality, masters and slaves. Stop the abuse. He really kind of addressed that to parents with their children. You have no right to abuse. Husbands to wives, you have no right to abuse. It's sin. It's sin to abuse your children. It's sin to abuse your wife. It's sin to abuse your employees. It's sin to abuse your employer. Wow. Wouldn't work be a whole lot easier now? Can you just go in and do your best? And if you don't know what to do, you ask, and they don't chew your head off. They tell you what you need to do, and then you go, and you're going to work hard whether anyone sees you or not because you're working for a paycheck from God. The right work ethic. Work for your real boss, no matter who your boss after the flesh is. Stay focused. We live as unto the Lord. Your homes, ladies, treat your husbands in a way that honors the Lord because it's the Lord who's going to honor you. He's going to reward you. Children, obey your parents. Not just young kids, you singles. Obey and honor your parents. Now, you can't do something illegal. You cannot do something that is a contrary to God's word. But if it's not contrary to those things, the only reason why you don't want to do it is because you're sinful, you're selfish. You don't want to submit. Isn't that what he told us in chapter 4? He said, learn to submit one to another. Look beyond wicked people and see an almighty God. We see an opportunity to show God to the world even when it doesn't seem fair. Can I draw your attention to a couple examples, but the first one I want to draw your attention to is, do you remember the little slave girl for Naaman the leper? There was a foreign military man and this military man, when he was out conquering other nations, he brought home a little girl for his wife, for her to be his wife's servant. Now, if you had been taken from your parents, you'd been taken from all your friends, what would be your response? I mean, we have a hard time when we just have to move from one area to another with our parents. Imagine moving under duress. And remember what her response was? I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. And when she learned that her master had leprosy, what would we usually say? You get what you got because you had it coming. You know what goes around comes around, right? No. She said, oh. I wish you could just go back to my hometown 
You could go back. She didn't say, let me take you back and maybe I can escape. You go back and if I could just get you to my God, you could be healed. Who acts like that? Oh, but now you've got another person, a man named Gehazi, who was the servant to the prophet. And he messes everything up, doesn't he? The little girl's trying to get the guy to God, and Gehazi starts taking advantage of what God did and said, oh yeah, my master says, could, <clears throat> could use it. A little extra cash to help out other people, of course, and some extra clothes. And so now the man said, oh yeah, hey, have all this. But what was he really doing? He was taking the man's eyes off of what God had done. That God does it for free. Now the Bible never tells us how the little girl responded. But it does make us just think, you know, she had to be disappointed. But regardless, she just chose to do the right thing as unto the Lord. So how do these commands impact you and me today? When we fail to respect a position and authority, even when that person doesn't deserve our respect, we fail to see that we serve God. I don't know what kind of employer you have. Maybe you're the employer. I don't know. But for a moment, let's just talk to those who are employees. And you've got a boss that's really, in the vernacular, not good. Just not good. What do you do? You're not demanded that you stay and work for a bad person. But if you choose to stay and work for them, because we live in a really cool country, you can quit. You can go somewhere else. But if you stay, what should be your attitude? I'm going to do my best. Because I'm doing it for the Lord. Maybe you've had this happen to you. I know I've had friends that they've talked about. And they said, slow down. You're messing up everyone else's count. You work too hard. You're making us all look bad. But the reality is, I'm not doing it for you, and I'm not even doing it for him. I'm just doing it for the Lord. Always live with the right attitude, even if your attitude even if your altitude is not what you want. I'd like to be flying up here. I'm flying down here. You always make sure your attitude is right. If you keep your attitude right, you never crash. Joseph was wronged so many ways. Sold by his brothers. Mistreated by the people around him. What did we find? What the scriptures tell us is his attitude was good. And he received of the Lord. I mentioned if, you've, if you find that your attitude towards your authority is wrong, you're going to miss the blessing of serving for God.
I'm weary of all the arguments that are happening in our politics right now. I'm so tired of hearing about all the same things every day. But you know the reality is, right now, you have, you have the freedom to elect whoever you want, but currently, the people that are in elected office are those that are in authority over us. But when we grumble and complain about those people, we miss the point. We have a God who can change all of this landscape. And more importantly, we have a God who's still fair and he's still faithful and he's still gonna reward. Maybe for some of you today, you hear what I'm saying and maybe you've been to church before but you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Please understand, I just want to say it one more time, you can't earn your way to heaven. There's nothing you can do to get you to heaven. The Bible says there is not a just man upon the earth that has not sinned. And the Bible says the wages of sin, the paycheck of sin is death. And death is always a separation. We understand the concept because it's a separation from good things, things that we love. We love that individual. That person no longer can be with us. But the big picture of eternal separation, eternal death is we're separated from God and God is good. If you remove God from the equation, wherever that is, there's nothing good there. That's why I would plead with you today. Please don't put that off. I hope for your sake your life goes very well and you live a long time. But I'm not in charge of that. We jokingly say, we're in charge of sales, not management. I can't make your life go well. I can't make you live a long time. But you're here and you have the opportunity now and wouldn't it really be cool if you made sure before that time came, whenever that is, that you've already received God's gift of eternal life.